Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. In this episode of today's show, I sat down with Si Wei Liu. He is an associate professor of computer science at the University at Albany, which is part of the State University of New York. Si Wei is a leading expert in digital media forensics, a field of research into the tools and techniques needed for analyzing the authenticity of media files. So over the past year, of course, there has been heightened awareness about the rise of tools for creating fake media. So this is mainly images, video, and even sound files. But uh, not as well known is that there has been a parallel effort on the detection side. So researchers in digital image forensics have uh, been taking advantage of advances in machine learning and deep learning. And they are also making progress as far as building tools for detecting which files are authentic or not. So one note Seaway uh, is part of a very strong set of speakers at our O'Reilly AI conference in New York this coming April. So we have a strong roster of speakers speaking on computer vision, as well as on ethics, privacy, and security. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Seaway Liu, an associate professor at the Department of Computer Science at the University of Albany in New York. Welcome to the data show. Hi, thank you. Thank you, Ben. So first off, you're part of this field that I think people are beginning to hear about called basically digital image forensics. And I think, uh, Siwei, another term that I hear thrown around is image synthesis. So at a high level, describe these two fields. All right. So actually, when I started working in this area 15 years ago, it was known as digital image forensics. But now, I think the scope is broadened to be, so the new name is digital media forensics because we're interested in verifying the authenticity of all kinds of digital media, including audios, videos, and images. So this is the, 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 the area um, uh, we're talking about in our work. And then the other term you mentioned is image synthesis. And this is also a very recent research area in machine learning and uh, computer vision, where the goal is to automatically synthesize, or you can say hallucinate images that looks realistic, but, but this is completely generated by an algorithm. So, you know, the algorithm doesn't really understand, doesn't have the concept of objects or environment, but it's just based on tons of tons of training images that we fit the algorithm and we tell the algorithm that this is actually real photographic images. And then the algorithm will do its best to synthesize, to generate images that looks like them. I see. So uh, you so, so you threw out 15 years. So then uh, the natural uh, uh, response of someone listening to this uh, podcast would be, so also this field precedes uh, deep learning. So what were you folks using back in the day? <laughs> Well, back in the day, deep learning was non-existent. So our biggest enemy back in the time is Photoshop. So Photoshop actually exists more than, I think, more than a few decades. And um, it, it has been a very handy tool for people editing images. And at the time, 
the most important concern is about the authenticity of these kind of images in the place of, say, you know, images, pictures coming from film cameras, and uh, whether we can use them as uh, uh, as a, as a legal evidence, for instance, becomes an issue because for film photographs coming from film cameras, it is much more difficult to manipulate them to, you know, adding something, removing something or changing something in the image. But for digital images, because the existence of Photoshop, you know, people can do that much easier. So back then, uh, we mostly relied on statistical tools. Um, so because when people actually fake these kind of images, they usually try to hide the traces from human visual inspections. But when they actually do this kind of manipulation on digital images, they actually unintentionally change the underlying statistical property of those images. In other way, if you look through, say, you know, just, just make an analogy, just like looking at those images with, with a kind of macroscope. But in this in this case, it's a hypothetical uh, macroscope, which is based on a, a, a set of uh, statistical and, and, and analytical tools or algorithms. When you look through those kind of quote-unquote macroscopes, you'll be able to see some differences that you know human eyes will not be able to see. And that's what the, the, the basic kind of tools we're using to tell the difference between an authentic image and image that has been manipulated. So fast forward to today, how much domain knowledge or expertise in computer vision do, uh, do you need? So in other words, are these tools and pipelines automated? Because uh, before you said uh, you had to have some awareness of how Photoshop works and stuff like that. So since you are a uh, faculty member training graduate students. So what is your advice to graduate students? So how much machine learning versus how much of the other stuff should they know? You mean for the for, for doing the forensic work? Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I would say, you know, they're at least equally important. Um, so on, on the one side, we need to know the, the, the set of tricks um, the founders have. So, you know, following all the, the, the current literatures on image synthesis and image manipulation, we need to have a fairly good working knowledge of machine learning. Actually, because part of my other part of the research is actually indeed focused on machine learning and computer vision. So for me, I have more experience in those areas than you know the bare minimum for doing forensics. But for my students, I do request them, most of them, to get a good grasping of what the essential knowledge of machine learning, deep learning, and computer vision. On the other hand, I think for the specific type of uh, work we're working on, detecting this kind of image forgeries, we do need to understand from a different perspective, which is the, the angle that most forgers probably will not pay much attention to, are you know the whole image synthesizing process and the statistical analysis of photographic images, some particular characteristics of those kind of images and the potential models for those for those characteristics. So once we have so that part is our main weapon site you know we, we we are able to use those statistical models to tell if something is deviating from the normal and also we, we also use in the nutshell all we're using are i'll say common sense right because uh, the fundamental difference between all the anything that is fabricated or manipulated is not coming from a real photograph that is captured by a camera of a real scene happening in the physical world so there's a fundamental generation differences. So anything that can tell us this difference will be helpful for detecting the fake media. So 
I talk about statistical tools, we also use um, other tools like physics, like shadow, you know, light. So my students actually. Oh, oh, oh so, so before we go into the uh, astral detectors, actually, let's uh, kind of describe for the audience at a, at a uh, high level what some of the uh, tools are for synthesizing these images. And by the way, uh, Actually, you already alluded to this. So even though we talk about it in terms of forgeries and attacks, there's white hat applications for this uh, for these things as well, right? So uh, like uh, game designers or whatever, uh, people who make movies and, and things like that. So here's a few things, uh, see way I listed, and uh, maybe they're kind of too basic, but uh, feel free to add on to some of these. So some of the things I thought about are someone can cut and paste an object into an image. Someone can remove an object from a scene, mm -hmm. swap faces or objects. Maybe the audio is inconsistent with the video and things like that. So so what else are some of the common things? Oh, and then the other thing I read the other day, Seaway, is uh, sometimes uh, there's like a mirror in a photograph and then the reflection isn't consistent. <laughs> right. Assuming you're talking about the, the kind of different type of uh, manipulations yeah. or yeah, yeah. forgeries people can use. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As, and, and some images can be completely generated from scratch. Um, so we talk about audios, you know, we have basically every computer these days operating system has a text-to-speech text synthesizer, so called TTS, okay? So that is the speech synthesizer. So you, you basically can create a speech or voice of from a, a piece of text. Right. So those things can also be used maliciously, uh, you know, for maliciously uh, as a forgery. And if we can personalize this, basically can generating synthesizing speeches of one particular person's voice, then that is even more of a problem. So you said earlier that in many ways the, the toolkit for detecting these things rely a lot on common sense. So what are some of the common sense uh, approaches that you folks use? Well, we've been using common sense Basically, uh, as I mentioned, the common sense I, I refer to are the fundamental difference between the generation process of, you know, digital fabricated or manipulated media from the actual, the real captured media. So, uh, for instance, uh, one recent work we have done is uh, detecting this uh, this kind of video called deepfake videos, which are synthesized using AI algorithms. Uh, learn with a large number of images and can swap faces between different people um, and keeping the facial expression. So the results looks fairly realistic, but one thing we realized that can be used to detect that is actually looking at eye blinking, okay? Um, because uh, the videos uh, synthesized by deepfake, a lot of those kind of videos do not have a good realistic eye blinking motion. And the problem is this images, as I mentioned, this, uh, this model is trained using a large amount of images. And if the person making those videos doesn't do this very carefully, just grabbing images from the internet, say Google image search, you got images mostly with somebody's eyes open because uh, for portion images, we don't usually include an image with eye closed, right? So, so that is a bias in the training data. And, and this is kind of common sense. You know, we know if it's a real person, it has to blink. There's a uh, physiological study saying that, uh, stating that, you know, for a normal healthy person, we blink about once every two seconds or to 10 seconds. So if we see a video that is longer than that, say, you know, 30 seconds or one minute video with a person in the video never blink, that is a sign that this, this video has some problem. Right? So this is the kind of common sense I'm mentioning 
that, you know, just looking back at what real human, real person or real scene should possess and what is then like from the image or video we're examining. So, so using that kind of uh, differences to detect, to tell the authenticity of those media. So if I'm trying to do like kind of a world-class fake media, it seems like there's many things I have to take care of then, right? So there's, like you said, so there's the eye blinking, breathing, but maybe even there's like digital fingerprints that signal processing can pick up. So my the surface of things I have to fake is quite big. So would you say, see, way at this point, uh, detectors are further ahead than th- these uh, generators of, of fake things? I would not be so optimistic about that because there's some reasons, you know, in theory, it looks like difficult to synthesize media, which is true. But on the other hand, I mean, there are some factors also on the side of the fathers. The first one is, I think, is a completely non-practical issue is the fact that, you know, most people doing this kind of forensic works, working like myself, working in academia. So every time we develop an algorithm that can detect a fake, detect use for uh, as a for, uh, forensic technique, we usually just write a paper and publish it. So the, the details of our detection algorithm are uh, becomes available immediately, you know, once we, we find them. So on the other hand, you know, people making fake videos, um, they are usually in a secretive uh, position. They, they don't usually, you know, publish their, the details of their algorithms. So there's a kind of imbalance between the information on the forensic side and the forensic side. So this is this is kind of a running model uh, so far. Uh, so that is a practical issue. The other issue is also a little bit, uh, not not directly that uh, a technical issue, but it's a kind of user habit. Um, the fact that you know, even though some of the fakes are very low quality, we, because we have internet, once somebody actually broadcasts those fake media on the internet, as a typical user, you know, open up the cell phone, check it just for a split of a second. And we see something that is kind of interesting, exciting, sensational, unexpected. We we have this habit of just distributed without actually checking the authenticity. So this actually helps this kind of fake media to broadcast very, very fast. Even though we have algorithms detect them, probably it's not fast enough to actually stop the, the trend. The third thing is, I think, again, um, as all this detection algorithm, we, even we put them all together, um, all the cues that is our basis for the detection are still, you know, if somebody do this well, can still overcome all these detection methods. So here's my prediction. It's really a matter of effort and resource. If somebody actually put a lot of time with a lot of resource supporting them and just focusing on making, you know, perfecting one particular fake media uh, to be undetectable, I think that's completely doable. So a couple of things. First, uh, I think there is also the volume of media being generated and uploaded. And I think my understanding, Z-Way, is that uh, maybe these detectors, still the latency of these detectors is still slow enough that maybe it's not practical to implement it on YouTube or Facebook or the volume of things they have to deal with. Right. The volume volume of data is is clearly a very important issue. And I think these algorithms are, you know, relatively speaking, still slower than the daily volume we're seeing on those portal flat uh, platforms you mentioned. But I think there's another more important issue that is 
kind of slowing down the forensic detection is the false positives. Most of these existing forensic algorithms, they work well, but can, they can detect very accurately the fake media. But the problem is they also have a high false positive rate, which means if you actually send a real media, you know, with no manipulation, these algorithms sometimes make mistakes and flagging them as fake media. Now, the problem with that is the even we talk about because you mentioned the volume of the media, to, the total volume of media we're seeing, even like 1% or 0.1% of false positive rate means we have to look, you know, someone has to look the actual, you know, tens of thousands, maybe millions number of uh, media. And that, that actually is, is a problem. You see a lot of red flags and most of them turns out to be false. And that is really causing the kind of uh, disbelief of this kind of algorithm. So I think one of the technical barrier for all the forensic methods we have been working on so far is this high positive rate. So we have been all working on trying to push down that to a lower level. There's also a couple of things that come into play around kind of the information imbalance, I would say. So first, first is, uh, what's his name? Uh, Harry Farid, who's like one of the fathers of this field, who I think you probably studied with, right? He, he, my, he, he was my PhD in the last Oh, yes. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so... So he, he wrote an essay last year, which basically, as I understand it, he said, well, if we, if we publish everything that we know about detecting, then that will give the forgers a technical edge. So maybe we should start holding that. Right. Yeah, so, some, of, some of what we know, or at least have like a, a time between uh, when we actually reveal what we know and when we publish it, right? Yeah, I think that's something I've heard people in the field talk about this because, uh, uh, you know, 15 years ago, when I started in this area, people don't really take this very seriously. So, you know, we just, most of the work we're doing this is somehow for academic curiosity, you know, just playing a challenging game to see if, you know, some of the fake media, we can detect that. But now I think the game becomes real because um, uh, it, the, the power of the tools that people have at their hands. And uh, as you mentioned early on, you know, the kind of uh, knowledge that required to use those tools to generate fake media become much, the, the threshold become much lower. So um, the volume of fake media and uh, the level of realistic, realism of those fake media are increasing. And we're, we need to catch up. But under the current model, we do run into this intrinsic imbalance, which causing trouble in the long run. And uh, the nature of uh, machine learning and AI in particular, right now, or at least over the last 10 years, it's all about openness, right? So publish on archive, publish right. your code on GitHub. And so right. the expectation is different, whereas on the other side, they don't have to do that. And then the other thing is, uh, I guess, uh, as far as information, so information has, has been weaponized. And also, as even if for the sake of argument, we say that detectors are better than the generators, but uh, the bad actors still have the power of information propagation on social media, right? So by the time you actually detect it, maybe millions of people have already seen it. Exactly. Well, one, one last factor I think is also, you know, in the actual incentives for, for this kind of, for, for the two side, two lines of the work, right? So for forensics, we don't, you know, we don't get, you know, even if each time we catch a, a, a piece of fake media, it doesn't really, we don't get anything. But for people actually making those fake media, they got a lot more financial or, you know, some other forms of incentive to do that. So I, I think that that's also another form of imbalance that is 
playing here. Interesting. One thing that caught my eye, Siway, is this new DARPA program on media forensics, which I'm sure you're part of. But one of the things they're trying to do, it's it's not just a question of, okay, so we know this thing is fake. They want to kind of understand how it was faked and why it was faked. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the DAPA program is the full name of the program is called Media Forensics. And it started in 2016. Back then, deepfake is still is not an issue. Nobody it doesn't exist at all. So when the program started, it's mostly uh, targeting the traditional kind of um, uh, media forgery techniques. I, I talk about like Photoshop using Photoshop or, you know, text with speech synthesizer or video splicing, those kind of uh, manipulations. Um, so we were part of uh, this Dharma Media for program. Um, and I think the goal of the, the, the program is to actually provide uh, an integrated platform that can summarize all the state of art forensic media forensic techniques and make it available to industry or, you know, even like uh, ordinary users. So everybody can have a have a way to authenticate if a piece of media is authentic. Um, so so that's the, the overall goal of the program. Um, we are entering the third year, actually the second and half year of the program, uh, reaching the third year uh, landmark. And then the last year we'll be focusing on integrating and packaging the softwares. So I, I'm highly hopeful that you know after the program complete, there'll be something provided available to the to the public. Um, and then we do have a sort of uh, force, um, two sides for this kind of uh, verification. So when you look at kind of cybersecurity field, there's almost like a parallel industry, like a, a an underground economy where people sell attacks or malware and things like that. So I imagine uh, there will arise a parallel economy in media as well. <laughs> yeah, I believe so. I think there is, if there's a market that somebody will try to, you know, gain benefit from that. So everything we talked about, mostly we focus on the U.S., but one of the countries I'm interested in, because we do have an AI conference in, in Beijing as well as China, and, mm-hmm. and their video is massive, maybe even more massive than uh, the yep. U.S., right? So the on the phones, the, the short video. So d- do you detect people talking about fake media in China? I heard uh, some talk about that because I'm ethnically Chinese. I, I grew up from China, so I know there is a concern there. But on the other hand, I think, you know, based on my understanding, the, the platform company in China has a stricter of say regulations for users to upload media. So I think even though they have a larger volume, there are some kind of mechanism to filter out inappropriate contents, either you know politically or from other aspects. So in doing so, they I think they also have some form of authentication or, or fact checking of those videos. But I, I'm not sure if that's actually was done in in an algorithmic way. Um, I, I don't know the details. So there's no headlines like here. I think that there has been a lot of headlines here and concern about uh, the potential. But uh, in many ways, I think actually, in uh, how, how do you feel about this? See, way maybe uh, right now, actually, we haven't had like a really bad series of episodes of fake media in the West, but uh, I'm, I'm glad actually we're already talking about it, right? Right. Actually, yeah. I mean, what the, I was interviewed last year, April, May. We had a lot of, a lot of people are concerned about the potential misuse of this uh, technology and their potential impact for the midterm election of last year. I think we didn't see a huge wave of those fake media for a couple of reasons. 
I think the first one is this imp- increased, escalated awareness of yes. this yes. potential yes. problem actually helps. So, so I think the media did a very well job um, of this preventive and proactive action, educating the general public that the existence of this kind of fake uh, media and also, you know, highlighting some works in forensics and giving people, you know, there's some kind of, uh, I would say, intimidating effect there that people making fake media know that there exist techniques that can detect them. So I think I think that has an effect. The other thing is, I think the technology itself is not there yet for last year. So the, we focus on deep fake, we emphasize on the deep fake technology. I follow that line of work very closely so you know most of the the videos we're seeing are still you know with some kind of artifacts you know um that can be detected even though you know if, if it's, it's it's hard to see them uh with a quick glimpse but if you actually spend some time you know five minutes later you you find those those videos are are, are not are not real so that's i think the technology is not mature back then to have this kind of realistic fake videos yet but I cannot speak of the future because I am seeing the technology improving quite fast. And uh, there are a lot of exchange of ideas of people how to improve and um, increase the quality of the, the generated video. So, you know, I, I think we're, we haven't seen it, which is a good thing, but that cannot say for the future, uh, you know, who knows when, when the, a really good fake video will show up. And the other thing here, Seaway, of course, is as we mentioned, uh, the detectors and digital media forensics experts like you do all their research in the open. And in many ways, many of the fake media generators we hear about are the ones that are being done by researchers like yourself. <laughs> so there might be groups working that we don't know of, right? So on, yeah. on the generation side. Exactly. Maybe that's even their... maybe even state back groups, right? So exactly. That's I think that's the worst scenario where that has the most concern because uh as I mentioned, this uh, fake media, if there are in there's sufficient uh amount of resources and effort put into the synthesis of those media, they can be made with a high level of realism. So and especially if it's backed up by you know, a state or government level agency. So I, I think, you know, that that's why we need to work faster on the forensic side to be able to stop this this way. So uh, in closing, so reminder to our listener, Seaway is going to give a talk at our AI conference in uh, New York this coming April. But uh, uh, I wanted to close by giving you a chance to talk about, you know, give us a sneak peek, Seaway, of some of the things coming out of your computer vision and machine learning lab over the next year. Okay. So we have been talking about forensics a lot about, you know, detecting those fake media. And I think not only these days with the fast pace of AI technology and those forgery tools, uh, editing tools, uh, we, we need to be one step further. So, you know, so as we are working on detection techniques in parallel, we're now also focusing on proactively protecting us from this kind of attacks. So one idea is, you know, we, we are, because the social network, uh, the social platform, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, we basically, you know, upload our images, uh, videos to those platforms. And this is actually uh, providing data, training data for people that potentially can using AI-based technologies for free. The training data is free. They can grab, they can harvest our faces from the images or um, uh, videos, high-resolution image uh, videos for training their AI deep learning-based deep neural network models. 
So what we are focusing now is how can we stop that? How can we slow it down? How can we make it in, inconvenient for uh, this kind of harvesting all the face images and train a big model? So one thing we've been working on is this proactive protection, which essentially boils down to a scheme where we actually invite some kind of perturbation, or you can call it a noise, into an image we upload to the social network. And then uh, all this AI-based algorithm get those faces by running an automatic face detector and then face landmark uh, locator to crop out the faces and then prepare the face as the training data for those deep, deep neural network models. What we're trying to do with the purpose of inviting those noises is to break the face detectors and landmark locators so that they will not be easily finding the faces or align the faces. But the, um, but the noise we put there are almost imperceptible to human visual system. So when a, a human user look at those images, they will not see any problem with those faces, with, with those pictures, with those images. But this is only aimed to stop, uh, to slow down the face detector algorithm. So what, because if for training a, a neural network, typically you need at least thousands of images. So if we can break the face detector part, um, somebody probably have to go in checking each of these images and crop the face out manually. That will slow down the whole overall production process and hopefully will 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 deter you know them to to use that kind of kind of technology as uh, as an attack. So this is something we believe will be very useful in the future. And we're spending full throttle on that idea. So I will talk about a little bit some some preliminary results we have in that area during my talk at the AI conference. So won't uh, won't half of your colleagues be mad at you? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, we we I know I I know fair fair amount of people working in the synthesis side. So each time we just joke with each other that we're arch enemies uh, against each other. But but indeed, I think you know um, uh, this is a cat and mouse game. Uh, both sides are you know um, uh, improve based on the other side's observation. So um, on the other hand, I think um, in the long run, uh, we we need to have an upper hand on the detection side. We need to control this problem because you know in in the academic circle, this is this is just for curiosity, just for kind of uh, intellectual challenging uh, each other. But for the actual society, I think that the impact, the potentially negative impact, is just uh, so immense that we need to be serious about it. Well, Siwei Liu, this has been great. And uh, look forward to seeing you in person at the AI conference in New York this coming April. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Just a reminder, Siwei Liu is part of a strong uh, lineup of speakers at our upcoming AI conference in New York City this April. So we have great speakers on many topics, including computer vision and ethics, security, and privacy. You can follow C. Wei on Twitter at UAlbany, C-E-A-S. Thanks for joining us. If you like the show, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud or Spotify and never miss an episode. <music>